0: Um, as just a way of introduction, I'm going to loop back to something I was talking to our, our live daily support chat group yesterday. We, we've gone through every Thursday being a day we talk about training and therapeutic training type principles. We, we've been picking apart all the different nuances of training design and uh, you know frequency, duration, hitting different muscle fiber types through different energy systems, all of that. And, and I, I used a couple of clients as examples yesterday and, and I had an email from one of them uh, this morning that I thought was, was great to discuss. One of my, my top female you know bodybuilder clients, figure competitor who, who's pretty gifted, she has a lot of muscle. she's been training for a long time. so you don't really expect somebody like that to have you know tremendous change you know just with a protocol change. But by reducing her frequency, So she could go deeper into those workouts. She could do more sets per workout. She could, she could activate the muscle tissue a little bit more neurologically, take advantage of being just warmed up better, potentially getting more mitochondrial, you know, activity. Uh, She she said, besides the fact that everybody in the gym has noticed and and she's seeing the change, she's seeing her strength go up through the roof and she feels recovered all the time she said she's always gone to this one particular massage therapist who has been you know kind of out for the last year uh, you know probably due to covid just just not really you know taking clients and so he has not done any body work on her for about a year and she said he just worked on her yesterday and he said oh my gosh what in the world have you done you have added so much muscle so just a little check mark for that kind of affirmation because what we talk about every friday is science i want to go through at least one study, sometimes comparing a couple, sometimes going through a meta-analysis, but, but looking at topics from angles that that not a lot of people are aware of. And you know just looking at motivation, we, we describe motivation in so many different ways. And, and just doing a search, if you go to PubMed or Google Scholar and you start using different phrases, trying to search for any research on motivation, You'll see that, that you know it's categorized in different ways, different fields, think of it differently, different disciplines. Um, you, you'll end up running into entire books and chapters as well as studies. And what, one of the things in our company that we often think of in terms of motivation is uh, self-determination theory, which is one of the newest disciplines. And that is because our health psychologist, Dr. Corey Probst, uh, who's the vice president in our company, uh, you know that's her jam. She just loves self-determination theory. This was developed primarily in the 70s and, and grew from there. It has a lot to do with positive psychology, and, and a lot of that work done at University of Penn. And um, and that's what we're not going to talk about today. So I, I think a lot of people in our company who would see that word motivation, it's like, oh, he's going to talk about autonomy and and uh, you know competence and, and all of those things. And that is not what we're going to talk about today. Instead, I went to uh, an entire different discipline. This is from the, a, a study commissioned by the Federal Reserve Bank. And it was done uh, in conjunction with MIT, uh, the University of Chicago. And they, uh, one, of the, one of the people that I saw who used this, I first came in contact with this particular research through a TED Talk. And it was actually a lawyer who was a political speech writer who also has his hands in uh, just business development. And, and you'll see later in my PowerPoint that he even brings in some thoughts from the London you know, School of Economics, which is a, a huge uh, you know, academic uh, powerhouse in, in the world. So here, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna show you some things that, that have been studied about motivation from an incentive perspective. And one of the reasons I went this direction is because you can study it more acutely. When, when, you're, when you talk about workers, employees, things like that, you can, you can make change right now and you can measure results. And, and that's what a lot of people in business, there, there's an entire field. If you go to business schools or, or look up that kind of work, you'll, you'll take entire courses on this type of thing, you know, on, on just motivation and output and productivity and efficiency. Obviously that's been a huge thing for, you know, more than a hundred years in business, but we're, we, we want to relate that to health. We want to look at, okay, how is this going to help me lose body fat? How is this going to help me not binge? How is it going to help me say no to that donut? How is this going to help me achieve my goals with, with fitness so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present this material, then I'm going to provide that, that bridge at the end and, and, you know, we'll see what you guys think in terms of discussion. So the, the one thing that I think goes across the board when it comes to incentive and motivation and stick-to-itiveness, what makes us really accomplish a goal, is, you know, you first have to ask that question, what are the motivations? And the reason I brought up Corey and self-determination theory is that is very profound. Even though I said we're not going to talk about those things directly, you know, starting all the way back with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, we see that, you know, if, if your basic survival needs are met, you know, food and shelter, then then you can worry about another need, and you can kind of go up the scale like that. And with with self-determination theory, these are the things that drive us in everything we do. So we can't say they, they don't impact what we're talking about today. I would say they're even more foundational. So the need for autonomy, that's gonna actually come up later in, in this presentation. Um, the, the need for connection or relatedness to belong somewhere, to feel like you're needed and you have value, you know that's very important. Um, why is that third one escaping me? Autonomy, competence. Kevin's going to jump in.
1: Autonomy, connect, you said all three. Connection, autonomy, competence.
0: Competence, yes, competence. So so I'm actually good at, at what I do. So that's also going to come up a little bit. So you're going to see those intertwined in here. But but you know, think of it like this: as Corey likes to say, when you're having any struggles with eating, if, if you feel like your eating behavior is disordered in any way or heading in that direction it's probably not about the food and and we know that because some of us can perform perfectly and it's not even work you know little hunger no problem little struggle not a problem prepping meals easy just nothing at other times in our lives we're just crumbling nothing is working everything is a struggle we're breaking down at every opportunity and what what's changed? You know, what's changed is there's something in our lives that is not being addressed that's just completely off kilter. And we're not gonna succeed at anything in that point. So, so take that self-determination theory as the foundation. And now let's build on it today. What what's going to make us able to then reach for some of these goals? And and how do we create some kind of incentivization for that or incentive, I should say. So, um, let's, here's, what's interesting too. Um, because I, 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 you're going to, you're going to just get, get sick of me using these words, but intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. As soon as I heard this Ted talk and this guy giving this, this talk about incentive, it, it, it made me laugh but also didn't surprise me that here's this Ted talk on incentive. And within the first couple of minutes, he used the words intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And he said in business, you know, those are the two competing forces and and there are different theories for each does extrinsic motivation work. If I tell the employee, you know, with a stick, if you don't do this, here are consequences or with a carrot, if you do this, here's what you get. You get a bonus, you get a commission, you know, does external motivation work? And clearly it has to in some, some way in some places, but yet where does intrinsic come in? How do you, how do you get people to feel so fulfilled that they don't even need those things? So, so yes, the, the, the hypothesis is that, that there will always be performance contingent incentives but at the same time, you'll see that those can backfire. This study that I'm going to show you actually proves that in some cases, the more you give somebody, the more incentive, the more reward, the worse they actually perform. So we need to figure out why that is. Welcome to the Friday Research Review. Let's 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 get into that. So as I said, uh, MIT, University of Chicago, and then th- this is this is what's great. So w- one of one of my favorite things to do in a study is to look at the methodology, look at the design and see, you know, is it, it, was this just a bad study or did they, you know, there's always something we could do better. And and most of the researchers by the end of a study will say that, you know, in the discussion section, they'll say, yeah, you know, here's what we did and, you know, somebody else may want to do this. I I wish we had done this, or we could have done this a little bit better in, in hindsight, but this is one that I think has some really cool features. So, uh, when we're looking at incentive, who are you going to incentivize? Who are you trying to motivate? Uh, is it a suburban housewife in Iowa? Is it, you know, is it a graduate student at MIT? Is it a kindergarten student? Is it a male? Is it a female? And so one of the things they did is that they they did some study of a lot of different people and even went into a culture like India, just to see, like, well, maybe this is, a universal human thing, or maybe it's just an American thing, but they, they created different tasks. They wanted to check kind of mechanical motor skill motivation. So, you know, imagine having a game where you have to stack things up or like that game, Simon, where it's like a memory thing. You got to remember, did the blue light go first and then the red and then the green, you know, so there are these motor skill things. There are cognitive thinking skills. So they use some anagrams where you have to do, you know, vocabulary, word, letter type things. And then at one point they even decided, let's, let's have everybody do this privately, but then see what happens when we put them in front of an audience. Like we put that pressure. Now people are watching them do this. Uh, So, so there were some really cool things that they wanted to see how far this goes across those, those different boundaries. So the, the, the first experiment was in India, and they took 87 rural residents, and they decided they're going to do all of these different skills, these three different categories uh, separately. And, and so they could see, is this, you know, how is this impacting? We're going to compare subject to subject with memory alone. We'll do subject to subject comparisons with, with creativity alone, and then also with motor skills alone, and with different... Uh, levels of reward. So they, they kind of use this 10 times rule, which is, they would say, okay, you know, if, if you reach this level of success, you get four rupees. If you reach this level of success. So, you know, you work a little harder, you try a little harder, you get this. If you get the maximum, if you just totally ace this experiment, they gave them an entire month's worth of salary for India. So this was not your typical little study where you go into the you know, dental school at IU and, and sign up for a six-week you know, toothbrush study and you get five bucks or 10 bucks or a Starbucks card. They're giving you an entire month's worth of you know, income if you do this well. So that, that adds some true incentive. So then they decided to take all of those same tests Actually, I think they did it a little bit differently. As, as I read through this study, um, this may be kind of a, a point of contention with this is, is they seemed to do some, you know, some of the same tests with different people. And then they, they seemed to change a couple once in a while. And I wasn't sure exactly why. They also didn't keep the rewards exactly the same. Uh, but they did it again with, with 24 graduate MIT students and uh, one of them was, hey, man, you're just you're just helping out the team. You know, if, if you if you come in here and you don't get any of these answers right, you don't perform at a level, you know, you, you just get zero. So, um, you know, there's there's an incentive to actually do something well. And, you know, if you just re- reach this medium standard, you get one hundred and fifty bucks. And then, you know, if, if you kind of max it out, you get three hundred bucks. Then they went to the University of Chicago, got 39 subjects, and this is where they added the audience versus no audience component. And they added the anagram test, which was just a little bit of a higher level creativity. So uh, again, I'm not exactly sure why the different different groups were studying things slightly differently. Uh, But this was also, um, it seems a little bit less incentivized. The most you could make with this one was $13.58. So You know, there you go. Maybe, maybe for 30 minutes of your time, it was worthwhile, but let's, let's see exactly what happened here. Uh, So with, with nine, so with three tests, you know, three, three of, in each of the different categories, so they had nine total tests in eight of the nine tasks we examined across the three experiments, higher incentive led to worse performance. So the more you give people, the more you say, man, if you just work this hard, if you just go up to this level, you'll get more money. That's where you started getting a drop off. As a matter of fact, between level one and two, the minimum and the medium levels of reward, there wasn't that much difference. But as soon as you got up to that top level, uh, it it all started to fall apart. And so, you know, we'll we'll talk about why in in just a few minutes, but um, they... They did see this is a critical thing that i'll I'll point out a couple times in the motor skills and just like here, stack up these coins in this way, put these blocks over here, do this. there's something something very routine like a a line worker would do in a factory. Th- th- those people actually increased. you know that that's the one category where it went up because, you know, you pay me more money. I'll stack those coins better. I'll 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 put those bolts on that car you know tire even faster if I get more money. And here's what's really interesting: uh, my 18 year old daughter, I I heard this that come out of her mouth this week. She she works at a at one place and she gets a, a certain you know dollar wage. And she's not very happy with that because with the labor shortage we've kind of gone through, you know, she's been working there for a year, a year and a half, and they're now hiring people at a higher wage than she's making, and they're not bringing her up to that level. So first, she's going all women's lib on them and freaking out. But she also decided, okay, if you're going to do that, screw you. I'm just going to go get another job. So she starts college Monday, first year of college. And, you know, at the university, there were some job positions and they said, you know, they're going to give her like $1.50 or $2 more an hour. So she's like, done deal. But then she said, I'm going to use this as leverage. I'm going to go back to my uh, my boss that I'm working for now. And I'm going to say, if you give me this, which is now a dollar more than this, you know, I'll... I'll work for you. And she's, she's now thinking she has a way to at least make a dollar fifty or $2 more an hour. She may make as much as $3 more an hour. And this is what she said. She said, if they're going to pay me three bucks an hour or three bucks more an hour than I'm making now, she said, I will work every hour I possibly can. Because she said, you know, initially it's like, I just want to work the weekends. I want a couple of shifts. I want to make sure I'm not taking, you know, biting off too much uh, for my first semester. But she said, if they give me this much money, I'll work for them 60 hours a week. I'll, I'll study at three o'clock in the morning if I have to. So clearly, there's a level of incentive that at least gets people in the door. You know, she it may, it may not change her performance, but it certainly increased her volitional capacity to want to work. So, so keep that in the back of your mind. I think that has a lot to do. With, with that bottom line there, you know, uh, or that, that third, that second bottom line, menial motor tasks, just, you know, cause that's her job. You know, she works in a kind of a grocery store environment. She's, she's stocking shelves. She's doing that kind of thing. It's not high creative output. And she's like, man, you pay me more money. I'll work harder. Pay me more money. I'll work longer hours. Pay me more money. I'll, I'll do what you need. But let's, let's look at what happens with, with heavy cognitive work. So this was Dan Pink, the guy from the TED Talk. Uh, he's, he's quoting the actual study. So this comes from the study. But he said, as long as a task only involved mechanical skill, bonuses worked as they'd be expected. The higher the pay, the better the performance. But once the task called for even rudimentary cognitive skill, a larger reward led to poorer performance. So here's, here's my first discussion point for us. What would make... That kind of extra incentive. You're just all they did was say, I will give you more money. Like if now we're raising the stakes. If you do this much better, you're gonna get more money. Why would that make people do worse when it comes to creative or cognitive work? Uh, number one, you know, I think it's kind of obvious, and this is what I talked: is, is it probably just has to do something with pressure. Matter of fact, Dan Pink from this TED talk. Uh, he, he brought up this as his main metaphor for his talk. I I don't know if you guys had ever heard of this. I had not, but it's called the candle test or the candle dilemma. And this has been a psychological test used since the 1950s, but they, they, they create it like this. They have like this, this office cubicle, a desk, and they have this little tray. So it's, it's like this little box. If you could imagine this calculator as a tray, and it was it was connected to the felt board, and it's just this little tray that is is with thumbtacks. So it's just sitting there in the corner. And then they had this candle just laying on the desk and they had tape, just like scotch tape. And they said they, they gave people these examples or, or this problem, this kind of a riddle. Can you stick the candle to the wall? So when that candle burns. It it will not or you know it will not drip wax down on the table. Just you can do anything you want. There's the candle. There's some scotch tape. Here are some matches because we're gonna test this. We're gonna we're gonna like light the candle and then just just over in the corner, you know, was this little this little tray with with thumbtacks on it. And almost everybody they start trying to tape the candle to the wall. They're trying to. You know, melt a little bit of wax to stick, nothing works. Only a few people would take the thumbtacks out of the tray and just put the candle on the tray and say, there you go. Now you'll never get wax on the table. But if you start off the task by not having those thumbtacks in the tray, if the tray was just sitting there and your mind didn't automatically lock in that oh that's a that's a tray for just you know the, these particular thumbtacks then you would um, you know you you would think of it differently instead of it having a purpose that just immediately takes out of your mind. So what they think is that with incentivizing people too much now they're thinking about the reward too much. They're thinking about the extrinsic. Motivation—they're thinking about the reward so much that they forget just to be creative. Their their mind is being occupied, and and so what they're taking away is the autonomy, the competence, the mastery, the fun—you know—of it, the the creativity. And, and so, I think that's a big part of it. Um, just one second here. Okay. Um, so, so let's, let's look at it in terms of, well, first of all, another question I had is, you know, would, would this apply over longer spans of time? You know, we, 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 they did this study in a very acute sense, you know, here we are testing this. It was as a pressure filled situation, but, but what would it be like to have just incentives and internal versus external motivation in longer duration? So, so I think this is where to make that kind of jumper connection, we have to look at other other areas. And uh, Dan Pink actually did it in, in one way. This is where he, he discussed the London School of Economics, which has 11 Nobel laureates in, in, you know, under their belts as an alma mater and what they have found, and this is, and they, they actually studied, uh, they did 51 reviews of research that they looked at, they, they did the biggest meta analysis they could on, if we add higher incentives, does that actually improve performance? And they found that, that, that higher financial incentives result in a negative impact. People don't want just more money. What do they want? More autonomy, more connection or relatedness, and more competence. Uh, you know, These are the things that we all value. And so when you feel like you're part of a team, when you feel like you're needed, when you feel that level of connection when you feel that you're good at something and so you know you are getting some positive reinforcement from that those are the things that make you want to move forward and accomplish so you know go, going back to i'm going to read something directly from dan here the scientists who've been studying motivation have given us a new approach it's an approach built much more around intrinsic motivation around the desire to do things because they matter because they like it because they're interesting because they're part of something important. So he himself as a as a business author, you know, chose these words autonomy, mastery and purpose. Those look pretty familiar. Autonomy and autonomy going straight across the board into self-determination theory. Mastery meaning competence, I'm actually good at something and purpose, you know, you could, you could connect those loosely to connection and relatedness. I feel related to this group and, you know, connected and needed. I have a purpose. So without using the entire field or, or the the, the semantics of self-determination theory, they went through an, an entire another industry through a different doorway and they proved that these foundational concepts do indeed matter more than anything you could do externally. So let's, let's relate that now back to our particular goals in, in, in health, nutrition, weight loss, fitness. So, you know, what about these extrinsic motivators? Like, oh my gosh, if, you know, if I just turn in, you know, a a good, a good report this week, my coach will, will tell me I'm awesome. Um, if I if I just do this well this week, you know, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll lose my fourth pound this month. And that's what I needed. I accomplished that goal. I could check it off the list. If my vacation's coming up, and, and I, I lose those 10 pounds, and I, and I you know, look better on the beach, you know, goal accomplished. These are all very, very external, external goals. And so they lead to a lot of external functions. We're going to track our macros. We're going to shop. We're going to prep our food. We're going to track our workouts in, in every way imaginable. And, and those get us to a certain level. You know, those are those, you know, mechanical or you could say just like this study, the motor skill type things. We're just going through the motions. They don't take a lot of thought. But you guys know that an endeavor like this takes more than that because if you add it up through the day, just those external steps, okay, did I I take 10 minutes cumulatively through the day to track my macros? Yep, I can do fourth grade math. Did I go shopping this week and do a good job with my shopping list? Yep, got it done. Took an hour. Uh, did I did I spend a couple hours on the weekend prepping my food and getting everything ready? I need yep yep got it done. Did I did I work out an hour or you know more a day? Yep, got it done. But what about the other 150 hours that week? Those are the times that we can fail. Those are the times that we can slip and we can we can end up you know going off plan. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I I mentioned that you know I, I'm at the point in my life personally. That if I'm going to, quote, fail to reach my nutrition goal for the day, it's because of just one decision, small decision at one time of the day. Like, like I I want my calorie deficit to be here. Uh, You guys know I've lost 10 pounds this week or this this year, you know, on my way to kind of a, a, you know, personal health goal. And and if this is going to be a day that I'm off track, it's because of that one time in the late afternoon or the early evening or I just got a little bit hungry and maybe I just felt the pressure that, you know, that the day was not where it should be. Uh, and, and all of a sudden I grabbed that extra granola bar or I grabbed that, that bag of chips and that jar of salsa. I didn't have a blowout. I didn't eat 30 slices of pizza. I didn't eat two gallons of ice cream, but that one little change in that one moment can completely take me off my game. So these external actions addressing these external goals you know they work those are the guidelines that's the structure that keeps us on track until it doesn't. And it's that one moment that it doesn't that you need something else and that one something else is exactly what holds everything together. That's the intrinsic motivation. That's the autonomy, mastery, and purpose that Dan Pink talked about. It's the, it's the, it's, it's necessary for, uh, you know, those creative aspects of, of this, uh, you know, study that they put together. It's about staying consistent over time for the reasons that are so internal that they're just who you become. It's just who you are. And so this was a, this was an interesting outcome. Of some of these studies. When you look at this theory in business school and in and, and, and just human resource management, what they've come to realize is you need to give people more than, than financial incentive. You need to give them autonomy, mastery, and purpose opportunities. So he 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 gave examples of some companies who do this in, in terms of this business scenario, this, this entire context. And he said, you know, let's talk about this company, I think is uh, Elysium or something. It's like an engineering company in, uh, in Australia. And he said they, they did their own little self-experiment one year. They said, you know what, guys, we, we want to do something kind of fun. All of you engineers, you, you, you do what you're told. You make the stuff we tell you to make. And, you know, thumbs up. That's why you're here. That's why you get a paycheck. But we're going to have one day where you make anything you want. Like you have all the resources, the company, you have all the equipment, all the machine, you're going to get paid for it. You've got 24 hours of paid time and you get to make anything you want. It doesn't have to do anything with what we even do as a company. And people went ape shit. Like they loved it. Like really, we get paid to just to, to have fun, tinker around, do some stuff creatively. And, and so guess, guess what came out of that? like a lot of great stuff that elevated the company, you know, that they, the the company gained from that. So they started doing this at at certain intervals. It became like a monthly or a quarterly thing. Like this is the day we do this. And, you know, I'm sure they made it fun. They, they added some, some company um, you know, not, not financial incentive, but, but the, the awards, you know, the kind of things, the, the bragging rights for doing something cool. And and of course, there are companies like Google who do that. I I think he said they spend like 20% of their time doing the very same thing. Like, you know, here's your job, but one day of the week, if it's a five-day work week, one day of the week, you just get to do whatever you want. You you come into work and do anything. You know, I'm clear if if you play ping pong or do something else, you just, it's work time. But, you know, they they probably have some, again, non-monetary incentives to do something worthwhile. And what they found is, as part of this company, as part of this team, if we can do these things that aren't just tied to the bottom line, it's not just tied to how much money you make and how much money you make for us, but just something that, that gives you that creative outlet and, and that, that exercising of your, your self, your self-worth, you know, it matters. So how do we do that with our health and our fitness? I'm gonna I'm gonna get back out of this screen share here. And and the big question is you know, as we go through our day, as we go through our own processes for achieving something for that next big bodybuilding contest or losing a hundred pounds, and we're looking at this matter of fact, you know, in uh, about 35 minutes or so, when I'm finished with this call, I have a video consult with a brand new client, and we're gonna go over his programming. And he, he has, you know, probably 60 to 80 pounds he wants to lose. And when I look at a person like him, you know, we I've worked with thousands of clients like this. We've all had similar goals in many different areas, but that's a, that's a big mountain to climb. You know, you're just getting started. Day one, I'm sitting here in front of a screen talking to Joe about nutrition. And now this is going to take me six, eight, 12 months to accomplish. You got to saddle up and be in this for the long haul. This is where those external motivators just will not carry you. They're necessary. There's got to be some reward for those things, but for the long haul, it still has to come back to that intrinsic motivation. So, uh, friends, the floor is yours. I would love to hear your comments and your questions or your experiences. Uh, Keep in mind that an awful lot of people will be watching this on a playback. And so, you know, don't don't feel shy. A a lot of people just love to hear, you know, our interaction on on these calls. And and I think they help a lot of people. So every every time you ask a question, you can be sure that there are probably tons of people who wish they had the chance to ask it as well. So so feel free to jump in. What what do you think about the uh, the entire connection between this study and what we do? Kevin
1: I find it not surprising about the financial incentive and how that led to a decrease in motivation. I had a student uh, in the past year his project folk was in he's a clinician so he's focusing on you know administration and that relationship with other clinicians and how that disconnection is pretty evident um, but you know, all they would do to um, all, what they have typically done for retention is just incentivize, just pay more. And especially during the pandemic, like, no, fuck this. We're done with that. We don't want a pizza party. We, want, we need more staff, we need support, we need upper management to understand this. So, um, so him and I were bouncing ideas that created ultimately a uh, kind of, of a liaison of clinicians that were in the middle of those tiers, if you will, so ultimately have a conduit of communication so that the staff is getting what they want and deserve and administration will hopefully reciprocate. But that just, it's not all surprising Just find that interesting and validated to to see the research support that. But I'd be curious if, you know, from my own personal experience, having worked in the hospital dealing with the bureaucratics and really seeing that or experiencing that lack of well, in, the internal motivation was certainly not there I just hated the hospital so no matter it ma- didn't matter to me if you paid me more on holidays or weekends I couldn't care less to be there at all so incentivize, incentivize me all you want keep the money I don't want to be there regardless so I'd be curious to know if internal motivation was matched, how does that change the external output does that change is it proportionate disproportionate um that would just be interesting because you would hope that that's matched and equated for and therefore does that anything externally does it just further enhance the output from the individual or for the company
0: yeah and and that's why I, i think a study like this is is a nice little sliver on the timeline but there are other things you have to keep in mind. Like, you know, we've already talked about, we did a research review on on how, you know, decision-making works and, you know, who makes the best decision. Is it somebody who thinks about it the most? Like in with functional MRI studies, when your neocortex is, is on fire and those people are deliberating and thinking and analyzing, you know, logically you would think that's better than just emotionally thinking about something. If I just make an emotional decision, that's not gonna be the best decision. What these researchers in the, the moral psychology department at Harvard found out was, no, it's exactly the opposite. The more you think and deliberate and you're weighing things and all this, then, then you have that many more opportunities to make the wrong decision, to, to fail your diet, to slip. But the person who has moralized it, who just has an emotional reaction, this is what I do. I'm not the kind of person who does that. I will not fail. I will not do this. I will not show up late. Like when you make a moralized decision, you make fewer mistakes and you make better decisions. And so coming back to what you're describing, you know, more matters to people. They are emotional decisions. When you talk about connection and autonomy and how you contribute and how you're reciprocated as a human being, you know, that does matter more to people. On the mechanical side, what you were describing, like you you still need some level of financial reciprocation for income. I I, I equate that to us moving along in our nutrition journey. We have to see a certain amount of results to even stay interested. If I'm dieting, 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 and I don't lose a pound for four weeks, I'm going to just give up. Like, why am I going to keep doing this? It's obviously not working. So I think that's a great correlation. And, and I would even, you know, bring it back to um, you know, k- kind of my daughter, where there's this in like she does a good job because she likes to do a good job. She's a 4.0 student, you know, valedictorian type scholarships in college. And yet she says, I'll work more and I'll work harder if you pay me more. But that's that mechanical motor skill kind of thing. That those are the things I think. You know, the way we construct our programming in our company, like even having this, a a daily live support chat where at noon central time, Monday through Friday, all of our clients, all of our coaches, all of our coaches, clients all around the world can join or they can have access to the playback we're not, we're not giving them a reward. We're not, we're not taking more body fat off of them. We're not, we're not giving them a trophy, but they're getting heard. They're, they're, they're increasing competence. They have the opportunity for connection. You know, those are all the things that matter. And so like, like you were just describing in that scenario, Kevin, uh, I I was speaking with somebody uh, you know, Steve Dodd and I traveled to South Carolina with a couple of his staff members and we were talking about some of these same issues. And, uh, one of his staff members said, you know, you know, sometimes a donut goes a long way. And, you know, instead of another dollar an hour or a commission or a bonus that donut representing somebody just saying, Hey, I appreciate you. I, I thought of you. I value you so much that I went out of my way to bring you this gift. Like that, that means more sometimes than, than that money. But, uh, Good stuff, Kevin. For those of you who don't know, Kevin Brunacini, of course, Dr. Brunacini is, is my co-coach in the Flexible Dieting Institute. Uh, he is a, a, a doctor in nurse practitioner ship. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was never know how to say that, but uh, any other questions or comments on, on how we can use the best of it, extrinsic motivation to intrinsically motivate us, if that's possible. St- Stacy, I, I, if you have time, I know you're working there, but you're somebody who has worked in the quasi medical and business field in sales. You see high level decisions being made creatively, engineering wise, as well as the bottom line where stuff has to get out the door. Somebody has to sell this. So, uh, any, anything that you, uh, you feel can be added to, we can make better
2: No, um, you know this is something that actually our dean, our leaving dean and our new dean, is uh, it's it's a very big focal point for them on um, how to reward uh, the faculty and keep them motivated um, and not lose them because sometimes we uh, keep them motivated, but then we lose them to other opportunities, and so this. The retention and the rewards to our faculty based on levels of achievement is something that they are working uh, aggressively on right now.
0: Hmm. Well, and and to me, this is why, and and I'm going to jump onto the business side of the conversation instead of the, the nutrition and health side, but this is why I love the free enterprise market when it's a completely level playing field, because if, if I'm working for you or you're working for me, we should both care enough about that relationship that we want the other person to be happy. And so even if somebody was offered a little bit more money for a job, why would I go? I love where I am. I love these people. I I would never want to leave here. Uh, Sometimes that does have to mean physical remuneration. But, um, you know, I think that's part of this whole intrinsic value system that we're talking about. And, And when it comes to the nutrition side, the health side, that's why it just has to matter to us. There has to be something so valuable that we don't want to lose that. You know, Kevin Brunicini lost 120 pounds 10 years ago when he kept it off, changed his entire course, you know, of his, of his life and career. Uh, when I was a little kid, you know, and, and especially kind of moving, you know, I started out majoring in business and marketing and in a, in a family that was very unhealthy, zero health values whatsoever. Everybody's obese. Everybody has diabetes. Everybody dies in their 50s or 60s of heart disease. And yet when I said, no, that's not good enough. I, I want to have a different type of physical Health life, you know, I didn't have to make that decision, but along the way, there was enough incentive to keep me there. I could cognitively see the value. I I can see what happens if I don't take care of myself, but I also feel those rewards. I, I know what it feels like to be strong and healthy. I know what it feels like to be lean and not so lean. I know what it feels like to sleep better because I'm eating better. I know what it feels like to have better self-worth and self-esteem because I'm taking care of myself. Like if those things don't matter to us intrinsically, there is no external goal that will get us there. There is no bodybuilding trophy. There is no next level. There is no percent body fat that will make it that appealing. It just has to be so valuable to us some way. And if we struggle with those things, if we're like, why can't I do that? You just don't want it enough. It hasn't made that connection yet. You, you have not, you just haven't seen it in that way that makes it click. And, and you know, coming back for a second to the business side, Stacy, I think that's why managers and human resource directors and business owners and CEOs have a hard time because they're just always thinking of all of the externals. I'll give you more money. I'll give you better parking space. I'll give you this. And if they just create that environment where where people want to be there, it, it it's kind of easier, but also not at the same time. Just just like for us, everything I just described about intrinsic motivation for our health, it sounds easy, but it's not always because in twenty four hours a day, there are always those things that uh, could could make us make poorer decisions.
2: You know, I have to say that and I've brought this up before when I worked for Pfizer. And so this was a long time ago, and this is when the industry was much different than it is today. They had it down to a science on how to keep us motivated, how to keep us loyal. It was, it was this giant company and it felt about this big. And if you had a family member that was being interviewed for a job, that trumped everything. They would do anything to hire family members for existing employees. I would get anniversary cards for my husband and I from Pfizer with tickets to go out to a movie on us, take the night off. Here's a gift card, hire a babysitter. I mean, they they made the, the loyalty that they created from you. Made you want to do your job better and work harder because you had this giant company that was in a moment's notice ready to support you. And I've told you this, how, you know, one doctor made an off-color remark when we were promoting Viagra. It was not bad, but it was, you never go in that office again. Don't go ever in that office again without a mail. It is not necessary. They didn't care what rank he was, how much he could do. It, I mean, you just had, you, and listen how I'm talking about them. And I've been away from them for so many years, but you were constantly rewarded for doing your job. And I mean, like making sure things are done and they hired your family. So I, I don't know how that can translate in how to translate that kind of like it, because it turned into me as this obligation to do my job better than I did the day before, as if big brother was watching me do it every single day. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And I'll, I'll offer a way that that translates and, it's going back to Corey's phrase, it's not about the food. Um, you know, what, what if, as you're talking about that work environment and that staff of peers, make those people your friends and family for a second. And your goal is to lose 50 pounds or your goal is to do this photo shoot or your goal is to run your first 5K in your life, lose 30 pounds and run a 5K. And what if your spouse You know, said, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? You know, and 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 personally, you know, never never offered you any validation, maybe even derided you in some way. What if you didn't have any friends who cared and you just didn't have a community of support? Like those are all the things that are missing for people who find it a greater struggle. And, And sometimes we have to create those things, you know, what uh, you know I, I think of our communication director Steve Stewart who left Evansville Indiana moved to Nashville in a city where he you know knew only a couple people and it was almost like watching your child go to the first grade and you're tr- trying to tell your child how to make friends and you know and so I, I would literally have these conversations with Steve and like well you know have you thought about doing this and you thought about doing that and I talked him into volunteering at the VA and he met some people and I taught him into joining a bike club and and joining this meetup group and these kind of things. And then finally I said, why don't you just, I know you don't need a job, but why don't you go get a job just for fun? Like go to guitar center and sell pianos. And so he got a job at the, at the Nashville symphony. So he gets to go to work every day in a tuxedo and, and, and out of 400 employees through COVID and all these shutdowns, he is not only one that they kept, but now they've made him a manager. So at 70 years old, he's a frontline manager and he gets to meet all kinds of people. He's, he's like a kid in a candy store. And it took him to go out there and create his own social structure. You know, now he's got friends. He goes out and rides his bike four hours a day with different friends that he's met And, you know, it took some time, but he built that environment that now he can thrive within. And for those of us in some kind of a weight loss or health transformation journey, if we just don't have that, we have to recognize that that is the biggest asset we're missing. It's not the reward. It's not the pounds. It's not the the minutes on the treadmill. It's the purpose and the mastery and the autonomy.
2: Do you think that's why some of these bigger groups like Herbal Life and Beachbody, um, that they have that support network around people? Oh. That's It's not that their programs are superior. It's the network of support that keeps people motivated and cheering them on. And mm-hmm. there's other people that have been in their shoes that they can talk to at any given time in their group. Does, you know what I mean? Like, Do Absolutely. you think... Okay,
0: and, and, you know, we still have to take the responsibility to plug in and ask, you know, you, you can't be like that middle school kid at the dance where you're just standing on the wall the whole time and you never ask anybody to dance. Like, you, there's the dance floor. They, they've created the environment, the structure's there, but, but you still have to venture out at some point and, and get involved. But yeah, that's, the, you know, those opportunities that companies give for engagement, you know, like us here and... I'm I'm about ready to announce, you know, in our post COVID, hopefully, hopefully, almost post COVID era, um, you know, our first coaching workshop here. So I, I sure hope you'll come down for that, Stacy. But you know, maybe in October because um, people need a chance to connect. You know, like minded people need that for sure. Let me see here. I think uh, Amanda threw a chat in there. Yeah, CrossFit. Yeah, huge example. Yeah. CrossFit and Peloton. Absolutely. Great example. Well, any, uh, any other thoughts or comments, you guys, before we wrap it up for the week?
2: Joe, you had mentioned the hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Now, now I'm assuming that the people who, the people who have already satisfied and they're at the point of self actualization at the top. And like then there were people, right. Or Steve Dodd. <laughs> and, and then at the bottom where you have the people who are looking for food to eat that you know right yeah i'm assuming i'm assuming and and i'm looking at they had people from india they had people from mit um did they by any chance have any kind of correlation between the people who didn't have as much the decision making they were willing to make almost like your daughter saying if they give me more money you know, I'll work more hours because I'm working for a car or something like that, right? As opposed to a guy who's who's at the top, who's got like 14 cars. I mean, the steps yeah. of the hierarchy as your decisions change.
0: That is a unbelievably good question, Mike. And and I, th- there was some discussion in the study. So if you look up that paper, I, I'm gonna just guess, I don't know if this is supported, but I, I think you're exactly right. If If you're giving me money, and it's the difference between me being able to buy medicine or shoes for my kids. You know, I am going to try harder, but again, remember, this is, these were cognitive skills and, and so forth. So it, it doesn't mean you could actually do any better. There, there's still that pressure involved, but, but I guarantee, you know, you're, 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 you're bringing in so much to this conversation with that one question, Mike, in that, you know, what, what is truly incentivizing to one person may more than another. I mean, we all know those stories. We've, we read them in books like chicken soup for the soul where, you know, an immigrant family comes in to, you know, to the country and they'll, they'll literally sleep in the, the janitorial closet where they work and they'll work, you know, eight hours a day off the clock just to impress their boss, to try and keep their job just so they can stay in the country. I mean, like, like people who have greater needs will do what it takes, but, um, yeah, that's uh, I, I do. I do think I remember seeing that the difference, because that's why they wanted to compare like rural workers in India versus, you know, spoiled MIT graduate students. But uh, but it's still, you know, that the, the data was still the data, you know, even in India, there was that shift where the more incentive, they just didn't perform better. But really, really good question.